Good evening. Um, uh, just to just go ahead and dissuade you as I look down at my foot. My toe is bleeding, um, and um, the reason my toe is bleeding is because I busted my butt today, and I fell down, and it was not, was not pretty, was not gracious, and I ripped my pants, but they were $75 consignment store pants, so even though they were Ann Taylor silk, I'd kind of got my money out of them, and they'd gotten soaking wet anyway, so you know, silk wet, I could feel them go up my thing. So yeah, exactly, thanks for that word of encouragement. So, um, so anyways, um, wanted to um, talk today, Christmas in July is what I titled this lesson. Um, I am listening through... Um, uh, does anybody listen to John Piper? Um, you ever get any of his podcast? John Piper is uh, probably one of the greatest theologians of our time today. And he um, uh, is teaching at his church. He taught through the Book of Romans, and I think it took him like eight years to teach the Book of Romans. And so um, I am listening to that. And so he taught on something and just some highlight. He mentioned three points as a highlight, and then I just kind of jumped on the back of that and wanted to follow up with that and, and talk about Christmas in July and why um, why we have a need for a Savior. Um, why do we need a Savior? And um, and hopefully that will um, strike a chord in each one of us and um, um, will motivate us on to, to even better and more exciting things. I want to pray again, if you don't mind. And um, when we get started, Lord, we love you. And we thank you for today, Lord. I just pray that you would... Um, just fill me with your spirit, Father, in a profound way, even more so, Father, that I would sit down and that you would stand up, that you would be um, glorified in the midst of, of what's happening here. And we love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to play the song to start us out. And um, we'll go from there. Thank you. 
In our culture today, um, many people won't say that they need. That works. Many people will say that they don't need a savior. They don't need one. And many of us, when we came to know Christ as our savior, we probably, and we could say, "I'm saved," but do we really fully understand what that means to be saved, and what we're saved from, and what we're saved for? And so that's what we want to talk about today. Um, we're going to start in Romans 5, 9 through 11, and if you were here last week, you know I like lots of scripture because it, as cute as I might be, it doesn't really matter what I say. It all matters what the Word of God says. So, number one, we are saved from God's wrath. Verse 9, chapter 5 of Romans says this, Since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? And remember at the end of last week, those that were here, we talked a little bit about justification and that process we go through, that immediately upon salvation, immediately upon receiving Jesus Christ as our, as our Savior and Lord, we've been justified righteous. Justified, not guilty. The, the, the judge has decided you're not guilty because Christ has paid that sin debt for us. An example, um, how I like to see that is... Um, we owe this debt, and in, in, in America today, that's like a credit card debt. We have this huge debt that we owe, hundreds of thousands of millions of gazillions of patillion dollars we owe. We owe that money. We've spent that money. We've purchased that much product in our lives, and we've probably blown most of that away. You know, I often go to dinner or at lunch, and I look around, and, and I, I wonder how many people are going into debt to eat dinner at, you know, Cafe Adobe, you know. That dinner might cost $45 for their family of four that night, but how much more in the long run is going to cost if they don't pay off that debt at the end? We in America are consumer debt, killing ourselves with consumer debt. But we owe this debt that is impossible for us to pay back. We are bankrupt in that spiritual way. We can't pay it back. But Christ came along and said, I'll pay the debt. I'll pay the debt. Paid in full, stamped in full. But here's the thing, and we'll talk about it especially in step three. The longer we go before we receive that stamp of paid in full, the longer we choose to, to harden our hearts or turn away from God or just say, hey, I'm going to try it for me, it's like, okay, that sounds like a really great plan, but I'm sure I can do it better for a while. So I go out here and do it my own way for a while, and then I realize that this ain't working. You know, Dr. Phil, how's this working for you? It ain't. You know, and so I'm like, okay, Lord, you show up and come into my life. So, so the longer it takes us, to repent of our sins, to do that 180 degree and start walking toward Christ, the longer it takes, just like paying our credit card debts off, the more interest we have. The more build-up that comes in that. So if I charge something today, I pay it off at the end of the month, I don't have any interest. But if I charge something today and I you know, pay the $18 a month on that $200 debt, you know, it builds up and builds up and builds up. Imagine this in salvation. The, the principle has been paid. But the consequences of our sin, the interest, we still got to kind of work through. And we're going to talk about that in three. So the wrath of God has been satisfied. His standard, which is the Ten Commandments, and that's the next blank, the standard is the Ten Commandments. 
And we could spend a lot of time in here and do a whole lot of confession, but I'm feeling pretty confident most of us know that none of us have kept all ten of the commandments perfectly 24-7, especially when Jesus adds this little caveat in there, you know, if you've, if you've uh, lusted for a woman in your heart, you've committed adultery, okay? So even if we've been, you know, probably any one of us, if we're honest with ourselves and really know our inmost thoughts in our hearts, between the parking lot and here, we broke one of the commandments. You know, we have failed at the standard. We failed the standard, but Christ said, it's okay. I'll pay that, the debt that's owed on that for the wrath of God that is going to be poured out upon you. We don't like to talk about the wrath of God. You know, we don't. I mean, I don't like to talk about the wrath of God. We want him just to be really just, but he, and, and David's going to talk about it today in the, in the, in the lesson. You know, he's, he, is, he is a loving God, but he's also a just God. And payment has got to pay, be paid for our sin debt. And because of that, because of the wrath of God, because we owe this debt, it's required that we have a Savior. We are saved from God's wrath and His, His righteous indignation, and that's what that means. Indignation is righteous anger. Because we have failed. Any, I mean, does anybody, do I need to convince anybody that they're sinners? You know, have a three-year-old, and that will definitely confirm that it's, it, we're born that way. We've got to teach our kids to be good. We don't have to teach them to be bad. I mean... We, they manipulate in the crib, right? How many times have they cried when they wanted to get out of bed and then you pick them up and immediately stop crying? It's like, how do you know that? Because we're born that way. We're born with that to nature. But I wanted to talk just a second about what that means. That doesn't mean since the debt's been paid, we can just go out there and sin like crazy. And many people will think that the grace of God that covers that wrath is not this big blue fuzzy blanket that, that God winks at our sin and turns away from our sin. That's not what it is. Let's flip over to Second Corinthians. I mean, Second Peter one three, and Second Peter is way in the back. Go to Revelations and come back. Go to Revelation and come back a couple. And you might pass Titus on the way, so we're going to stick your finger there because that's where we're going to go to. But I think this is these two verses are very helpful for me as I walk out this thing called life today. Um, Second Peter verse one, I mean chapter one, verse three says this: He, Christ, His divine power, has given us. First, Second Peter is written to believers, has given believers anybody that accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior or as a believer. His divine power has given us, has given Becky everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. So what that's saying, His divine power. Through the knowledge of Him. How do we know more about Him? We get in the Word of God. Has given us everything. And you know the deep Greek interpretation of what that means? Is everything. Did we talk about that last week going into Nehemiah Marcus? You know, the manager came to you and said, um, I came to you, or I came to Kim and said, Kim, listen, um, I've checked with the manager at Nehemiah Marcus and everything in the store is free to you. Would we have any problem understanding what everything was? I mean, we wouldn't go in there and say, is this, you know, is this coach bag everything? You know, are these lucky jeans everything? Are these, you know, nice earrings over here? Are this everything? No, no, we're like, everything! Okay, you know, get the U-Haul over it. We would understand what everything was. We have everything we need for life and godliness. If you want to be a godly woman, we've got it. It's in the Word. We've got to dig it out for ourselves. That's sanctification. We'll talk about that in a minute. But everything we need for life and godliness has been given us through the grace of God. It's available to us, okay? And then another one, flip over to Titus 2, verse um, 13. Titus, go back to the left a little bit. 
not very far if you get it's it's uh, I remember when I first came to know Christ and it, it was all, it's Hebrews is always after all the tea. So when you get to Hebrews go just a little bit further and you'll get Titus two, great little book. Titus two, thirteen says says actually two twelve. Let's back up to eleven. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It, the grace of God, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So the grace of God does not come that gives us the freedom just to do whatever we want. The grace of God actually comes so that we're able to say no to ungodliness and therefore yes to godliness, to turn away from that, to turn away from our worldly passions and our lust, and to live self-controlled, upright lives. That's what the grace of God does for us. It saves us, for sure. Saves us from the wrath of God. But it also doesn't just leave us out there to flounder. It gives us the ability to say no to ungodliness. It's not, it's like, some people will say to me, especially because I'm a prophet, some people will sometimes say to me, you know, well, you just need to extend them grace. And I'm like, but grace is saying no to ungodliness. And so in a situation, I, I'm going to have a situation where a friend of mine is, is a, a friend of hers who she's kind of mentoring, has posted some kind of inappropriate pictures on her MySpace, you know. I mean, they're kind of okay, but kind of not okay. They're, you know, they're on the edge there. And so she had to approach her and, and say, that's ungodly. And you had the power to believe her to say no. And she's gotten some kind of pushback from that. But it's like, but that is, that's grace. It's going to, hey, you know, what is grace? Go up to somebody and say, you know, hey, you got something stuck in your tooth. You know, you got a little spinach. You know, work it out there for you. That's grace. If I had a plate full, we're at a potluck supper, and sitting on that chair was a plate full of, you know, great food that we picked up on the, on the, on the table over there. You know, we got ham, we got potato salad, and we got green beans, and over in the corner we got a little dessert going on over there, all in appropriate portions with bright exchanges so we can be first place healthy. But anyway, so it's sitting on that chair, okay? And a total stranger comes up, walks over, and it's just, I mean, we would do about anything to knock them over so they won't get their, you know, $2.50 consignment shop pants dirty. Why would we not do the same when our friends and our brothers and sisters in Christ are walking in sin? To say, you have the power to say no to ungodliness. And to jump them and say, not only from the flames of hell and snatch them out to the power of God's grace, but also just in everyday living out this righteousness that God calls us to. We have the power to say no to ungodliness, and when we, when we help someone else do that, we're extending them grace. Another point that I want to put out, we're not going to read through, because that's a whole other lesson, and if you know, I get invited back, we can talk about this, and that's the kingdom of God. Uh, Luke 19, 11 through 26, um, talks about the kingdom of God. Now, I don't even know what the official Baptist statement on this, but I believe there is a little, a literal thousand-year reign that after all the, the seven years of, of tribulation and Christ comes back and the end of all things happen and before the new heavens and the new earth comes in, we as believers will rule on this earth with the Lord. And then ultimately new heavens and new earth will come in and this will be an Edenic state and everything will be beautiful and wonderful. But during those thousand, year, thousand years, we will rule with Him. That parable of the ten miners, and, and I'll just paraphrase it really quick, you know, it's where they... Um, the master goes away and he gives one servant ten um, talents and there was five talents and the servants one. I think that's the story. Um, 
ten of his servants and gave them ten minus to put the money to work until they come back. And, and he said, Here's, here it is, go put it to work. Take your talents and go put it to work. And he came back and he checked on them. The guy who had five talents doubled and got ten. The guy who had three doubled and got six. The one who had one went and buried it. He said, you know, you know he said, you've, you've, um, he replied to his master, I dare say, or if you go back, um, I should just read the whole thing. Chapter, verse 20 says, um, I was afraid of you. The servant says, I was afraid of you, because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. And the master said, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you put my money on deposit so that when I came back I could have collected it with interest? So he took his talent and he did nothing with it and just buried it. And the Lord didn't like that. And what did he do? He took his mind away and he gave his woman the ten minus. And he told that one... So for the one who has nothing, even what he has will be taken from but those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them one in front of me. So he took that one that had one and he put him out in the outer darkness. And he didn't get to rule and reign with them. And see, I believe the thousand-year reign is a chance for us to rule and reign with God and that we're going to be judged based on what we do in, this, in our body. Okay? Um, flip over with me to 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 5, 11 through 15. And this might get a little bit more clear to you. You go there, and I'm going to go for 2 Corinthians 5.10. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one of us may receive what is due to him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Things done for us while in the body. 2 Corinthians is written to who? Believers. They're not written to unbelievers. It's written to believers. And we'll be judged by what we do in this body after salvation. That's 2 Corinthians 5.10. Then we're going to flip over here. So we're going to be judged. And what's that judgment going to look like? 1 Corinthians 3 tells us this. 1 Corinthians 3.11-15. By the grace, we're going to go back to 10. By the grace, again, God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So all of us that are believers, we have one single foundation, Jesus Christ. Okay? Now again, 1 Corinthians, who is it written to? Believers. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his works, what he does in the body, see 2 Corinthians 5.10, his works will be shown for what it is. Because the day, the judgment day of Christ, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he'll receive his reward. If it is burned up, he'll suffer lost. He himself will be saved. He'll be saved from the wrath of God. But only as one escaped into the flames. So here's how it works. We come to know Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. We are saved from the wrath of God. We do not have to pay the penalty. We are going to heaven. We have been justified. It is done deal happened. I didn't do anything to earn it. I can't do anything to lose it. It is a done deal. I am justified. Between that point until the time we die, or Jesus comes back, that in between time, there's a record that's going to be kept of what we do in the body. Not for salvation. Done deal. Checked off. But for the rewards that we're going to receive, and I believe part of the rewards is, is reigning in the kingdom, of heaven, I think part of those rewards is laying them at the feet of Christ. So what we do in the body, even though we've been saved from the penalty, the wrath of God, the debt's been paid, there's still going to be an accounting we need to be aware of. And, and on that judgment day, we will stand before the Lord. 
I don't know if everybody else will be there or who will be there, but I know I'll be there. I know he'll be there. Okay? And then somehow supernaturally before him will be a pile of gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. And fire will come down. He's a consuming fire. I don't know if the fire will come from his eyes. I don't know if he'll just point his finger. If it would just appear like the burning bush. And when the fire comes, what happens? The, the wood, hay, stubble is, is destroyed. But the gold, silver, precious stones is what? It's refined even better. Any fire that hits those kind of things, it makes it better. The dross has come to the top. And then what's left, gold, silver, precious stones, based on that, I'll receive a reward. Okay? Is that what it says? That's what it says. That's what the scripture says. So, for the rest of my life, I need to say, hey, is this gold, silver, precious stones, or is this wood, hay, stubble? You know, did I do some things today that was wood, hay, stubble? Yeah. Any of my judgmental attitudes, any of my critical attitudes? Girls, even if I got up here and taught with the motivation of, hey, you know, look at me. Look how important I am. I get to stand before you guys and tell you all this stuff. Now, to you guys, it might look like gold, silver, and stones, gold, silver, and precious stones, but in my heart, it's wood, hay, stubble. My motivation's wrong. It's going to be burnt up just like that, consumed like fire. But for some of us that defer and, 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 um, Submit ourselves to the authority that around us, that's gold, silver, precious stones. I said, Julie, you must be going on a mission trip. If, if, Julie's, if Julie's heart is right during that time, gold, silver, precious stones, regardless of what the fruit is. She might go, she might be sick the entire week that she's there. I mean, I don't want that to happen, Lord, in Jesus' name. We just pray for health in Psalm 91, healing all around her. But she might go. And in man's eyes, it looks like it's not. But she lay in that bed and she prayed and she sought the Lord during that whole time. God says, gold, silver, precious stones. And I want a big pile. And you know what? I want a big reward. In Hebrews it says, it is impossible to please God unless, what? You believe he exists. Okay? I believe he exists. I mean, even the demons believe he exists. I believe he exists. And I believe he is a rewarder of those who seek him. And so I, I don't think it's wrong for us to say, Lord, I am going to walk out this obedience that you've called me to. Not for my salvation. Done, paid for on the debt. I've got a Savior to take care of that in me. But he's empowered me with the Holy Spirit. He's given me everything I need for life and godliness and to say, and to say no to ungodliness and yes to the passions that you would have me follow. And I want to do a lot of gold, silver, precious stones so at the end of it I've got a big pile for you and a big pile for me. And I will rule and reign with you. Because he is a rewarder. So even though we're saved from the wrath, we're saved from the punishment that's available to us. We don't want to just say, okay, well, I'm saved. I'm just going to live like I want. I had a friend of mine tell me that a friend of hers who's fornicating with her boyfriend and um, said to her, and they're, you know, they're like supposed to get married and no ring, no date, you know, but... This friend, let's call her Sally, said to my other friend, let's call her Susie. Sally, says to Susie, because Sally's been the righteous one, has been saying, hey, don't fornicate. You know, this isn't good. This is not good for your three-year-old son, you know, to get all mixed in with who this man is. It's not good for your body. It's not good. This other girl said to this other woman, we know, talking about her boyfriend, we know that what we're doing is not what God would have us to do. But we're just really happy. And we don't really want to be like you and your husband. You know, so we're, we're just going to keep on. I'm thinking, you know that what you're doing is wrong. 
and you continue to do it because it makes you happy? Well, it's not going to after a season. And it might for now. I mean, sin for a season is good. It tells us it's delightful, it's pleasant. Stolen water for a while is sweet. But then it turns to gravel into your stomach. And I just like, I told my friend, I said, you know, you know. And some people say, you know, this is where we get into Some people say, oh, you just need to keep loving her. Like the Bible says, if she claims to be a believer and you go to her and you say what you're doing is wrong, you need to treat him like a pagan, like an unbeliever. Do not associate with him. Because what she's doing marks the name of Christ. She goes to work, I'm a believer. Okay, you're a believer, but you're having sex with your boyfriend. You're not any different. Why do I need Jesus? Why do I need a Savior? So, be careful what we do in the body. We're going to be judged for that. Not for salvation. And God is a good God. He's not a cruel God. He's not a mean God. But He wants to reward us. He gives us every chance we can. He's given us everything we need to do it. So let's leave Him the good reward. And you know what, girls? I pray that all the wood, hay, stubble I had before salvation, that it's gone. The wood, hay, stubble that I had after my salvation, you know, I'm just like, Lord, help me out with this little grace on that. Move my wood, hay, stubble away. How can I burn that up? And some of the ways we burn that up is by confessing, by our own personal admitting that, hey, that was wood, hay, stubble. Lord, forgive me for that. It's no longer there. Do we leave that unconfessed in there? That's the wood. I believe that's the wood. Does that make sense? Okay. So I want us to understand we are saved from the punishment. That doesn't give us a license for sin. And that's somewhere in the scriptures, and I couldn't find it today. But we don't have this broad open license to just sin because it's covered. You know? No. We still got to pay. We got that interest. We got to deal with. Okay. So did I get all the blanks on that section? Okay. Punishment was was one saved from God's wrath. And punishment is that top spot. Okay, number two. We are saved for joy in God forevermore. And that's contentment. Let's go back to Romans 5 again. I know I have Romans in this Bible. There it is. Romans 5, 9 to 11. Okay, so, since we have been now justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? Okay? Fourth, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son. I mean, we could just sit on that and preach for a little bit. We were God's enemies. And He died for us. There's probably not a single person, maybe, maybe a handful, that maybe I would die for. Maybe. I say I would. But I'm not married, so there's not a spouse. I don't have any children, so there's not those real intimate things. So there's probably a handful of people that I would probably die for, that I'd consciously say, you know. But Jesus, while we're yet enemies, died for us, reconciled us to God, and made us right to the king of the universe. Flung the stars in the heavens with his fingertips. didn't even take work. He did that for us. So reconciled into the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, so not only is it so that we're saved for life and from the wrath of God, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have joy in the Lord. So we're saved for joy in God forevermore, and that is, I believe, contentment. You know, there's not, a, there's not much need in the world today, I think, for people to think that there's happiness found, as the Piper said, happiness found in something greater than them. You know, we think happiness can be found in a thousand other ways. In a husband, we think happiness can be found in a work or career. We think happiness might be found in maybe educational pursuits. We think happiness can be found in a zillion different ways. But the only way we can find true joy 
and happiness and contentment. And I'm really like that contentment. Just, I'm just content. Is everything perfect? Is everything the way I'd want it if I was around the world? It's, no, it's not. You know, you guys that were here last week know that I, I wasn't really happy about being back in Houston, but, you know, I just did the next right thing. You know what? And I'm, I this mo- yesterday, this morning I was thinking, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. Free to be content in the midst of situations and circumstances that I might not like. I'm content. Settled in. And I need a Savior to give me that. To be able to rejoice. We are saved for joy. If we're not operating in joy as believers, then I'd check your salvation, and then I'd just check your heart. What's going on? We should have joy. That doesn't mean we need to... i got a friend, and she's a 12 most of the time. You know, and if I just kind of plug along at about a 6 or a 7, that's pretty good. I'll have a 10 every once in a while, and occasionally a, a negative 2. But, you know, but she can also be... A, she's a 12 and a negative 2 a whole lot. But, you know, just joy. Complete joy. Turn with me to John 16:24. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John 16:24. So Jesus is going through telling him about that he's going to have to die. And he fully knew that. Fully knew that. And he still pressed on. I'm going to die, but I'm going to send you a comforter, the Holy Spirit. And, and, um... That grief will turn into joy. And then 24 says this. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Who wants? I want complete joy. Perfect, mature. That's what that means. Complete, perfect, mature, not lacking anything. I want perfect and mature and complete and not lacking anything. Joy. Contentment. Settled in. And how do we do that? Well, it says when you're asking you to receive and your joy will be com- made complete. But then you got to back it and say, okay, so you don't just take that and just say, okay, so Jesus, you know, give me a million dollars. And I'll receive it. I'm not receiving it, so the Bible must not be true because I asked for it and I didn't receive. You know, that's a cult. I mean, we can <laughs> So we got to take the full counsel of the Lord Word of God, at least go back to the beginning of the sentence, you know. Um, and so now you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask in my name and you'll receive. And that doesn't mean to say, okay, Lord, give me a million dollars in Jesus' name, and I'll receive. But asking in his name is saying that it's almost like a contractual deed that Jesus signed it and said, okay, I agree to this contract. And how do we know the things that Christ would say yes to? The Word of God. We know that he's going to say yes to to that. Lord, I want my joy to be complete. Lord, I want to be sanctified through and through. Lord, I want to walk in godliness and holiness. Lord, I want all my needs to be met. My needs, not my wants. Lord, I want you to be my shepherd that guides me and leads me in the path that I need to walk. Lord, I want you to be my full, complete satisfaction. Those are all promises from the Word of God that we can guarantee. Lord, I want to be delivered from the bondages that have attacked me in my life. Lord, I want to break the generational strongholds that have been in my family line for years and years. Lord, I want to break that. I want to draw the line. Lord, I want to be set free from the prison of pride or lust or, or ungratefulness or, or pettiness or bitterness. Lord, I want to be set free from that. Set me free from that. And I don't have to throw in the back of that in Jesus' name because we know Jesus has signed that contract. Lord, send, your word, send forth your word and heal me. Now, what we often do is we then become pharmacists. 
I guess we really become doctors. We don't fill it because we write the prescription and we want him to be the pharmacist. So healing me, Lord, looks like this. It's this home, or it's this career, or it's this salary level, or it's you know this emotional need being met. You know, this is what healing looks like to me. Being healed from cancer, being healed from you know whatever brain tumors. That we, but no, send forth your word and heal me. And then we just have to, have to trust in Him and what that healing is going to look like. You know, we have this physical healing all the time. Lord, heal the person, and then they die, and we're like, Lord didn't answer our prayer. I'm like, can we just talk just a minute about if they're believers? Are they more healed, more alive now than they've ever been in their life? And the answer is yes. So we need to be careful when we say, I don't think there's anything wrong to ask for physical healing here on earth. Lord, heal them physically and keep them here with us. But Lord, if there's greater glory that's available for you by their death, then be glorified in that. Lord, you tell me that no good thing you're going to withhold from me. And those are all things we can pray for. And have assurance that it's going to happen. And this is how our joy then becomes complete in that. Is when we get outside of ourselves and really start interceding for other people. And then God shows up and he does exactly how we prayed. And it's like, I'm on the same page as God. I know what he would want to do in that situation and he did it. I mean, is that really his joy? I'm like, this works. You know? And it's like, I don't understand. I honestly don't understand how prayer works. And I'm involved in a whole, mostly a big part of what I do at the church ministry-wise is prayer. And I don't really fully understand how it works. But I think that's really where faith comes in. You know, just by faith, I'm going I'm to read your word, I'm going to believe your word, I'm going to pray back this word, and I'm going to believe that you're doing it. You're doing it. That's faith. That's true faith. Because we can't see it. So complete joy, we get to contentment. I think it's interesting. Let's turn over to Ecclesiastes. I can't even spell it, but it's after Proverbs, a little short book, another book of wisdom that Solomon wrote for us, the Holy Spirit wrote for us through Solomon, <clears throat> Ecclesiastes chapter 5, so Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. The increase from the land is taken by all. The king himself profits from the fields. And then verse 10 says this. Actually, 10 and 11 is really what I want to be. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This, too, is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who concern them. What benefits are they to the owner except to fix his eyes on them? There is nothing wrong with having things. This isn't new with me, but it's when things have you, that's where you get in trouble. There's nothing wrong with having a nice car. There's nothing wrong with having a nice house. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. You know, many of believers that have those things, and those are all good things. And especially those that, I mean, I have a friend who built this family, and the Lord blessed them financially, and they built a very large house. But one of the purposes of their basement is they built it so big. The whole house had to be so big because they wanted the basement to be big enough that they could seat 100 people down there. So their twice-a-month Bible study where the older man teaches just men and the, and the wife teaches just women, they could seat 100 people in that room. So the house had to be big because everything else is big on top of that. They also have three kids, and the girls still come home. They're in their 30s now. They still all come home at Christmas, and they all want to wake up at Christmas morning with all eight of their kids and to be there on Christmas morning together. Well, they couldn't have a two-bedroom condo to make that happen. But God, they're using it for God's glory, so there's nothing wrong with that. But don't we know people that they get to whatever, and this is, I need to a minute, you get to whatever financial level and you think, if I just made X amount of money, Whatever X is, 
All of our exes are different. If I made X amount of money, I'd be set for life. I remember I moved out here. I had a, let's see, when you like have your salary and you cut it in half and you add the half. So I had a, like, whatever, a 50% raise, 100% raise, I don't know what it is. I had a huge raise when I moved out here. I thought, and not that I'm materialistic anyways, it's not like, it's not that much, but I thought, man, I will just be, I should have a whole lot of extra money. Like, no extra money. I'm like, where is the money going? I mean, it's not like all of a sudden I didn't, you know, I, I own a car. It's not like I had this bigger car and I know I've got a You know, I, no extra money. Why? Because it's right there. As goods increase, so do those who consume it. It's like, it just gets consumed. <laughs> I get this, where did it go? What happened? I don't understand. So money, it's material stuff, will never satisfy. The things of this world will never satisfy. Now, you watch TV for any longer than about 10 minutes, and I'll tell you that it will satisfy. But it's a lie. But what will satisfy? Flip over to Psalm 63. Just a couple of books over. Psalm 63, verses 4 through 6. Love the Psalms. Goodness gracious, love the Psalms, because they get mad, they get happy, they get vengeful. Love it. But then it always comes back to God's right, and I'm on. Um, Psalm 63, 46, I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands, my soul. We talked about that last week just for a second. Our soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions, the essence of who we are, will be satisfied as with the richest of food. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I thank you for the watches of the night. So my soul is going to be satisfied. My joy will be complete as I have my Savior and I'm able to praise Him. If I don't have a Savior... I'm not walking in joy. How in the world can I praise Him? But I'm going to praise Him. I'm going to lift my hands and my soul's going to be satisfied. How many people walk into church and it's probably the last place you want to be in the entire world for whatever reason? Not that you're mad at God or anything like that, but it's just, you know, I just don't. And you walk in there and about ten minutes into praise and worship, all of a sudden it's just like, oh, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. It's contentment. It's satisfaction. I'm telling you, I mean, and I'm not, a, I'm not a big praise and worship person. I'm not, I don't like have music a lot. This thing has really impacted me a lot to have my iPod and have music available because, you know, and I've got a friend who's a worship leader and so she like says, okay, this is the next great song you need to go get, you know, because I don't know. what. To, so this has made a huge difference. But in my past, it's not like I would necessarily listen to it, but let me tell you, when I would put a praise song on and, um, and just really just belt it out and praise the Lord and get in my car and just turn it up really loud, I'm satisfied. I'm telling you guys, apart from the Word of God, praising the Lord, and we've got to be careful because I think we sometimes get it out of balance. You know, Satan was the worship leader in heaven. Tells us that in Ezekiel. You know, we can take praise and manipulate it. We need to be careful. We need to know the Word of God and know what it is and know what we're singing. But still, I, I love praise music. Because it works on my soul somewhere, and I think that's how we're satisfied. Especially when we understand, point one, what we're saved from. When I understand that he saved us and reconciled me back unto Christ, and I'm saved from the wrath of God, and I don't have to suffer the penalty for my debt that I know fully aware that I've done. I don't have to pay. I can praise him, and I can lift my soul, and my soul's going to be satisfied like the richest foods. And Lord, I know about food and being satisfied in that. My soul can be satisfied. So why do we need a savior? We need to be saved. We need a savior from God's wrath. And we need to be saved for joy in God forevermore. And number three, we need to be saved from our sins, which is sanctification. We need to be saved from our sin, which is sanctification. This is different than the payment of our sin. 
Let me just read the scripture and then I'll kind of talk to this and, and see if this makes sense. You got, is this working for anybody? Is this good? Or is it just me that I'm talking to myself? Thank you. Uh, Matthew, first book of the New Testament. Matthew 1, 21 says this. She, talking about Mary, will give birth to a son. And you will give him the name Jesus. Which means Jose, which means Joshua in the Greek, which means the one who saves. And then it says, because he will save his people from their sins. He will save the people from their sins. Okay, so it's not God's wrath that I'm con- that we're concerned about at this point to save from our sins. And you know what this is, girl? This is the debt that we've talked about on the credit card. God, the Savior, the wrath of God. My principal's been paid. It's been done. But now I got all this debt because I just messed around for 27 years of my life and just lived life the way I wanted to. If I got all this debt, and how do I deal with this debt, and how do I work through that? The Savior saved me from that, too. And help me work through this. That, that I don't know who I've heard ever said it, that sin sickness that we walk in sometimes that are just actually 100% the consequences of our sins. You know, if, if um, some man or woman, you know, was... Um, uh, had just gotten blown out of, their, out of their mind through drugs or alcohol or whatever, and they were staggering down the railroad track, and they'd fall down on the railroad track, and they go to sleep, and all of a sudden a train comes through and, you know, cuts their legs off, but somebody's there to, you know, rush them to the hospital, and they're able to, you know, stop the bleeding, and he's going to live. And the next day, you know, you know, Diane goes on hospital visits and goes and visits the person, and, and that guy gets gloriously saved. Saved. Is his life going to go back? No. It's consequences of our sin. His ways are in your back. But can we then take those very consequences of our sin and turn them around for the glory of God? I mean, think about in his situation. Man, what happened to your legs? I got saved. I got saved from the wrath of God. Well, how in the world did that happen? Well, he had to cut my legs off to get my attention, and so here I am. So, you got both your legs, so you might want to get right now. You know, I mean, you know, so, and that's the truth. I mean, we were praying this morning before my Sunday school class, and and I was just like, Lord, I mean, he, we will bow the knee. We will bow the knee to the Lord. And we can either choose to bow the knee or he will bow us for, bow it for us. You know, the, the story is told of, this, of a, a really great shepherd, a, a sheep that continues to stray and that continues to run away. What the, sheep will, what the shepherd will do is take that sheep, break its legs, and then mend it together, and then carry the sheep on his shoulders until he's able to walk on his own. And then by then, the relationship between the shepherd and the sheep is so close that the sheep will never want to run away from the shepherd. And trust me, he will break your legs. I can testify. He will break your legs. Why? Because no good thing is he withholds from those he loves us. And intimacy with the Lord is a good thing. And he'll break the legs. And he broke my legs. And he put me on his shoulders. And he carried me on. And now I don't ever want to leave him. I don't want to stray him. Or get very far. Keep me on a keychain, Lord. Keep me close. Keep that crook close by. So sanctification, and again, I'm going to talk about it because, new folks, salvation, justified, we're justified. This is if we've never sinned. Our our eternal destiny is secure. We are going to heaven, no doubt. Justified, saved from the wrath of God. Somewhere down the road, either through death or when Jesus Christ comes back, we die. And our bodies are then glorified. Soul. Our soul is, I mean, our spirit is saved, justified, going to heaven. Our bodies, when we die, glorification happens, future tense. Because is anybody's body being glorified right now? No. I mean, you all look awful cute, but we're not being glorified. 
I mean, our bodies are decaying, they're getting worse. The time between that salvation, between that justification of our spirit and that glorification of our body, that in-between time is called sanctification, and it's dealing with our soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions. What we think, what we do about what we think, and what we feel about what we think. Our mind, our will, and our emotions. And does that just cover everything that we ever deal with in life? <laughs> you know? It's what we think, what we do about what we think, and what we feel about what we think. And that process through there, all that God does in between there, is sanctification. Um, and, and because of what we talked about in the beginning, about what, about the judgment seat of Christ and about the kingdom reward and, and all those kind of things, these things in between, you know, we could just sit here under salvation and not have anything sanctifying. You know, we could choose to never go to church. I mean, I'm a good Southern Baptist girl, and there's people that teach other things, but this is what I choose to believe. I believe I can be saved, and I can spend the rest of my life miserable, because the Holy Spirit will continue to knock. He will continue to make you miserable in your sin. How many people know that after salvation, you do something that you did before salvation, and all of a sudden it's not as fun anymore? I mean, it's true. He will con- you can continue to be miserable, but when you die and go to heaven, you're going to be saved, and you're going to go to heaven. They're not going to be, it's not going to be withheld from you. You just have lost a whole lot of rewards. You've lost a whole lot of joy, huh? Exactly. Oh, yeah. I mean, you just, you, as he said, you just might be sneaking in us through fire. I mean, you're never going to have no reward. And you've missed out on no abundant. I've come that you may have life, salvation, and have life more abundantly. That's sanctification. This this time between salvation and that time between glorification, that time in between, we can live an abundant life as we're sanctified, as we're made more and more and more like Christ. First Thessalonians 4.3, I love this. Let's go there. Back to, to the right where I think we're in Matthew is where we were last, all the way to First Thessalonians. If you get to Hebrews, you've gone too far. First Thessalonians 4. Verse 3, how many people said, you know, I just want to know what God's will is for my life. I just want to know what God's will is for my life. It tells us right here in the scriptures exactly what God's will is for your life. Verse 3, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. So if what you're deciding on, this job or that job, do I marry this man, do I not marry this man? Do I go to this church, do I not go to this church? Do I do this or do I not do this? Do I go on a mission trip, do I not go on a mission trip? All things being equal, and you're having a hard time deciding where it is, nine times out of ten, if you look at, am I going to be more sanctified by that decision? Am I going to have to become more Christ-like? Let me tell you, whoever's not married, you get married, according to the Scriptures, you need to become a whole lot more Christ-like than you are today. You want to be sanctified, get married. I don't, hey, I'm not married, I haven't been married, but I'm just taken from reliable sources. I mean, because what we are called as women... And a marriage is Christ-likeness in the fact of, of the servanthood of being here. I mean, he's called to love us like Christ loved the church, but that's his deal. We don't need, you know, don't, we need to be responsible for our lines, not for his lines, you know. But what they call it, that's sanctification. That's going to be purified. What's going to make you more and more like Christ? So it's God's will for us to be sanctified. It is God's desire in his heart that in this, after that, immediately after that point of salvation, we need to become more and more like Christ. We need to be sanctified, set apart, made different, made holy in all areas of what it looks like. While we're there in 520, look down to chapter 5, 
verse 23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. I love this. It's not about, it doesn't say my Becky himself, or herself. It doesn't say my Becky sanctify me through and through. It says God's going to sanctify me through and through. It's not about the rules or the laws that I set up. Are there things that he's going to call us to do in our quiet time, in our, in our giving, in our going on a mission trip, in our work? Yes. But they're going to be different for each one of us. And there's not a set of rules you can say, if you do these rules, you're going to be sanctified. He's going to call us and say, this is what I want you to do. It's his work through us that does it. And there's freedom in that. But you know what? For me, who's a rule, I'm a, I'm a list maker. I want to check it off and say I did it. It's, it's so much easier. Just, just tell me what to do. You know, just give me the list of ways. He says, no, I want to teach you what to do. I want to teach you. He says to Moses, just tell me what to do. And, and Moses, and he says, no, I want to teach you what you're supposed to say. I want to teach you what you're supposed to say. So we've got to take it in, hear it, process it, and say, okay, that's what you want to do for us. But, I, but that's not the point. The point is that it's a deep work. It says on there, sanctify you through and through. Through and through from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet and everything I touch and every place I go. I want my home to be sanctified. I want my car to be sanctified. I want my relationships to be sanctified. I want my entertainment to be sanctified. Oh, I hate this. I heard a preaching about 10 years ago. Somebody said, Did you, were you entertained last night by something Jesus died on the cross for? I'm like, cool. One of my favorite movies of all time is Dr. Shivago. Most of you guys have no idea what Dr. Shivago is, but Dr. Shivago is a movie about an adulterous relationship. It's a great romance. But it's about an affair, an adulterous relationship. I mean, it's hard to go to the movie and they're not fornicating. And if I go to the movie and pay eight fifty to go see a movie and it's got that in there, even if they're PG, and it's like Christ died on the cross for that person's sin in that fornication. Oh. You know, does it make it sometimes hard to make movie choices? Yeah, it does. But you know what? I want to be sanctified through and through. If that means that I don't go see a whole lot of movies and I got other places of entertainment I need to find myself. Is that the, is that, isn't that enough that the Savior of the world saved us from the wrath of God? Saved us apart for joy? Saved us apart for sanctification from the sin sickness of my sin? Because you know what? If I go to those movies and I see that stuff, am I going to battle with lust the next week? Yes! I mean, can I just testify? Yes! You know, some people might be able to go to those movies and get through that. I can't! You know? I can't. And I'm, there's, there's no judgment on that. That's for me. You know? So I just R-rated movies. I just don't even bother to go look. And everyone's like, no, I can make it through this R-rated movie. Nope. Can't make it through that R-rated movie. So thorough, deep and through, relationships, entertainment, books I read, TV shows I watch, who I hang around with, what I do with those that I hang around with. Through and through, everything in me, I want to be sanctified, set apart. And then finally, it's a progressive work. Praise the Lord, it's a progressive work. It didn't just happen overnight. It's not going to happen overnight. We've got an entire lifetime. You know, people that are taken early, I think, I was thinking of, um, like, um, Keith Green was taken really early, and then there was another rag and muffin, another musician that was taken. Rich Mullins was taken real early in their life. You know, they were, like, in the height of their ministry, and Stuart Payne was a golfer, a strong believer for the Lord. Taken early and early, I mean, in their 30s, 40s, you know, they still tend to have so much for the kingdom they could do, and the Lord took them. And I think he took him because he had just done all the sanctification that the guy needed to do and he was so righteous. The Lord said, well, you're done. Come on up here. It's the only reason he keeps us around here. 
He doesn't need us to save people. He does it because why? Because he's a rewarder. He's a rewarder. He wants to give us a big reward. And if he takes us up there while we've still got a whole lot of hay and stubble and, and, press, and junk down there and not gold, silver, precious stones, he's not going to be able to reward us. So he allows us to stay down here through the suffering and the difficulty that we have so that at the end time we've got something that he can give back to us as a reward. Something. That's a good God, isn't it? That's a good God. That's a righteous God. That's a loving God. That's a kind God. That's a rewarding God. We're saved for that sanctification. Saved from the sin sickness, the idolatry and the yuckiness that happens. It's a progressive work. I got your I haven't. Before I do that, I just want to share this one thing, and I'm going to write it up here because I'm a visual learner, and if there's a marker up here, it will be glorious. Wonderful. And my spelling will probably be atrocious on this, but just stick with me on this because this is really the progressive work that I think is amazing. Number one is unconscious, and I'm not going to spell it out, incompetence. No, this is not your note. The next step is conscious incompetence. And then comes conscious competence. Let's see, I try to spell it and I spell it wrong. And then finally, there is unconscious competence. Progressive work. Here's how it is. Okay? Unconscious incompetence. I am clueless and I don't know I'm clueless. Now, the scriptures say that the, um, that the lost, the unrighteous, they stumble in the dark and they don't even know what they stumble over. You're unconsciously incompetent. You're clueless and you don't know you're clueless. Then you become consciously incompetent. Now all of a sudden I know that I'm clueless. Someone comes along and shares with you the testimony of Christ and His saving grace that's available for us. And we realize that I have failed the, the Ten Commandments. I have not lived up to the Ten Commandments. What am I to do? I'm aware of my insufficiency. I'm aware of my incompetence. Okay, then someone comes along and says, you know, salvation's available for you. And then, are, then I become consciously competent. Okay, I'm saved. I've become competent in knowing how to be saved through a conscious awareness of who Christ is. And as we grow in our faith, then we're just really unconscious. Did anybody wake up this morning? And we should. Hopefully this lesson will make you. Did you wake up this morning and say, I am so glad that I'm gloriously saved from the wrath of God. But it's just become unconscious to us. We're unconsciously competent about what's going on. And that, here's another great way. It comes to know Christ. You're spending time in your quiet time. You're plugging along doing everything. And the Lord says, I really want you to quit cussing like a sailor. Okay? And we cussed like a sailor and didn't think anything about it. You know, before salvation, that was me. Cussed like a sailor. I was unconsciously incompetent that maybe that was offensive to some people. But then through the, through the power of God, he, he showed me that it's really not a good thing. Um, and so then I became consciously aware of my incompetence. So then I started saying, okay, don't say cuss words, don't say cuss words, don't say cuss words. And I remember it was, I was probably a couple of years into my, I don't know, I mean, maybe a year and a half into my salvation, of my lordship, really. And I, and I mean, I was poor as dirt and all that stuff, and I had a box of Tide, and that was before they had liquid Tide, you know, it was just powder Tide, and I was walking to the laundromat, and I mean, walking out my door to the laundromat, and, and of course I was trying to do too much at once, I was carrying everything, and I dropped the box of Tide. Okay, and then to add problems to this is, number one, I really can't afford to buy more Tide. Number two, I didn't have a vacuum cleaner to vacuum the Tide. And number three, my dad was on his way to visit. So here's a pile of Tide. Here's the glorious thing. I didn't cuss when I dropped it. I didn't, I didn't say anything. I was like, oh, man, that stinks. And just 
that he raged, that he get mad. I mean, maybe if I said more fever for me, I would get mad at inanimate objects like that, you know, and cuss at it, like, what? So, so, all of a sudden I had become unconsciously competent. Today, I don't have to think about, okay, don't cuss, don't cuss, don't cuss. You know, I don't have to think about it. I'm, con- I'm unconsciously competent, and that's really walking in righteousness. And that's the thing. And in, in the walk with Christ, we will continually be coming back up to him. He's going to say, okay, great, I'm really glad that you're unconsciously competent about those things in your life. But, you know, hey, now let's start working on, you know, drinking or fornicating or, or I, was, was, I mean, easy to clean up the outside. Like, you know, quit going to the bars on Saturday night, getting drunk, and being hung over in church on Sunday. That's not a good thing, okay? Keep coming if you are, but it's really not a good thing, and we'll work on that. But now we're like, you know, that little pride issue. You know, your little, you know, judgmental, critical attitude. I mean, let me tell you guys, I was in the sanctuary two Sundays ago, I mean, two months ago, and, I, and I'm involved in the ministry that prays beforehand that does the consecration of the sanctuary, so I'm at the altar, you know, consecrate me through and through, my mind and my mouth and my ears and my eyes and my hands and my feet. Did I tell you this last week? My heart. And I'm just like, God, in all sincerity, Lord, I just want to be pure. I want to have good thoughts. And so then I get up and I move over to this little area and I'm just calling out to the names of God and just be glorious. And then I'm opening my eyes, I'm looking around, and, and I see folks in the choir. And, and I'm like, why is she wearing that outfit? <laughs> I'm straight up. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, let's go back to the altar again. Work on this again. Here we go. I mean, you know, but praise the Lord that it's a progressive work. Look what it says in the Amplified. <laughs> now, the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, emancipation from bondage and from freedom. And all of us, as with unveiled face, because we continue to behold in the Word of God, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. An ongoing progressive revelation of who God is as we spend time in the Word. So we just, you know, I read, well, I read the Bible through once. You know, that doesn't count. Progressive, I mean, it does count, but progressive ongoing revelation of the glory of God that we are constantly being transfigured, praise the Lord, it's constantly, into His very own image at ever-increasing splendor from one degree of glory to another. From one degree of victory to another. From one mountaintop to another. Don't walk in and say, well, I'm just going from valley to valley. I'm just going from loss to loss. You know, from ungloriousness to ungloriousness. Go from glory to glory and victory to victory and mountaintop to mountaintop. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It all goes back to Him. Where He is, there's freedom and there's liberty. He's the one that's going to hide us in that path, and He's the one that's going to give us that ongoing, continuous revelation of who He is that will bring upon us His ever-increasing glory, from glory to glory, from one degree to glory to another to glory. And praise the Lord, it's a progressive work. So as we walk through the sanctification process, the only the biggest question we need to say is when we're right here, when you look back and say, okay, I'm not as clueless as I was there, but I'm not where I'm going. The problem becomes is when we've been, been saved for... 5, 10, 15 minutes, years, you know, decades, and all of a sudden we're like, I'm not growing anymore in the face. And when I really look down, maybe I'm a step or two back. I've gotten back into some of the things that I thought I was unconsciously competent about. And I want to change those things. So we need to look forward and say, okay, let's keep working. It's a progressive work, and the Lord will do it. Let me pray. Father, we love you. Lord, I pray that tomorrow morning that each one of us, that we would wake up, and our first thought in our mind would be, I have been gloriously saved from the wrath of God so that I can walk in contentment and in joy of who He is and that You are progressively at work in me to make me more and more like You.
And if we can keep that thought in the forefront of our minds, it will change our little corner of the world and for you advance the kingdom. Enable us to do that, Lord. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.